This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. of America. I think he's got his thumb securely up America's ass. I enjoy dirty things as much as everyone else does, but this isn't even dirty. It's just disgusting. Hello, this is Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Jallo. I have a very special guest with me today, Renee Beaver, who's one of the hosts of what I consider to be a sister podcast to this podcast, Attack of the Queer Wolf. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me today, May. I, I could not be happier. I All I ever want to do is talk to you. So. <laughs> We're trying out this phone call thing. Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to sometimes get to the studio at my job and, um, I, and it just, you know, coinciding with my days off, like I'm off today. So I didn't necessarily want to go to my job to, to record this. I wanted to have you on the podcast and you're going to be on again for sure. Um, so I'm just also like trying out all these different recording formats, you know, trying to give myself like audio challenges. So this is one of my challenges today and I'm uh, pretty proud of myself for making it happen. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I'm happy to be part of any of your experiments. <laughs> yes. Uh, and today, Nay and I are going to be talking about the 1972 John Waters classic, Pink Flamingos. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are. I'm really excited about it. Uh, so I rewatched it last night and took some extensive notes. Uh Nay, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, what you're about? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, my name is Renee, or Nay, um, and like Annie said, I am a co-host of Attack of the Queer Wolf, which is a queer horror podcast uh, produced by Blumhouse Productions, and I've been doing that for about a year now. Um, and so in addition to loving horror movies, I'm also a queer, fat black woman, um, who's an artist and I live in Los Angeles and have been here for about the last eight years. Um, I don't know what else to say, but no, that's great. That's a great introduction. Um, and Renee and I met in 2017 when I curated an art show in LA called Fatter IRL, uh, which featured all fat identified artists. And we were just friends on Instagram. And then I asked you to be in the show and then we just kept being friends. I'm so happy that we met that way. I could not believe that someone was asking me to put my work in a show, by the way. <laughs> well, you're so talented. I remember taking a screenshot of the message and showing my bestie, like, can you believe this person wants me to put my work in a show? Oh, my God. Well, you're so talented. And I'm so honored. And it's so amazing to see what your art has become and where you're showing it now. And I just also... I don't know. I just love that you're on Queer Wolf. Like you're my favorite part of that podcast. And I was so happy to be on it. I was on um, Attack of the Queer Wolf talking about um, yeah. Dracula's daughter. So I'm, uh, I just, I, I love that we've, we have all these intersections and in, in common. Um, yeah. I mean, and if you lived in LA, you would be, um, my co-host oh, oh my god i would love that <laughs> i i talk about it's so funny i plug attack of the queer wolf i don't know how much you listen to this podcast but i plug attack of the queer wolf constantly <laughs> so yeah, I, I i just love y'all um You're so, so we when was the first time that you saw pink flamingos was this your first time watching it no uh, i I saw pieces of it very young and I wish I could remember the age, but I just remember, um, I have a half brother that's 10 years older than me. And so usually the way I would get access to anything was because he was watching it or listening to it. And I remember like him watching it one night, but I had to, he was sneaking to watch it. My mom would have, Ooh, she would have killed both of us for watching it, but <laughs> he was sneaking to watch it. And I was sneaking to watch him watch it. So I'm like, halfway like down on our stairwell in um the apartment I grew up in and like peeking around the corner to watch him watch it <laughs> and I don't know how old I was but um definitely like single digit age probably like eight or nine amazing and I ooh, I could not believe what I was seeing and I of course was still like very deep in Christianity at that point um 
deep as a nine-year-old but you know you see those little kids crying about going to hell that was definitely me and I although I I thought everything that was happening was sinful I wanted I was like what what would it be like to be the filthiest you know like that sounds so cool and I definitely felt guilty about thinking that but I was kind of obsessed oh my god but I didn't yeah. watch it in its entirety until college like I think I kind of forgot about it I don't know if I like blocked it out or what um <laughs> but then got to rewatch it and thought I was watching it for the first time but but started to remember like oh actually this is that movie that you were sneaking to watch that I could never that I never knew the name of because I couldn't ask anybody and I couldn't let anyone know that I watched it and so um it's probably been five or six years since I've watched it um so I like you I rewatched it last night yeah yeah I first saw it uh, I became really into midnight movies in high school and I watched a documentary about midnight movies and this was and I also had my friend had gifted me a book called cult movies in 60 seconds so it was just like a an encyclopedia of cult movies and this was in it and uh, back then, like what, 2005, it just wasn't as easy to find movies to watch whenever you wanted to. So, um, unless you were like going to buy the DVD or something online. So I actually caught it on TV really late at night and I just fucking loved it. Like I, (laughs) it's so funny. Like it's it just it, it it captivated me and it also reminded me a lot of rocky horror which i also another movie i talked about on this podcast so obviously i loved it and um later divine and edith massey as fat icons was really important yeah. to me so Hell yeah and rewatching it last night through that lens uh was very interesting because I had never watched, I haven't watched it since becoming radicalized as a fat person. So it was, it was awesome to watch it through that lens. And that's, you know, part of why I wanted to have you to talk about it, because I know that these are things that we discuss a lot and something that we've talked about on the other podcasts that I uh, used to do. Uh, of where I, I interviewed you about your practice. Yeah. That's something that we talked about. So the film was written, directed, and narrated by trash connoisseur John Waters. Who <laughs> I'm sure if people are listening to this podcast, they know who John Waters is. Right. Uh, and he had already made the short film Eat Your Makeup and the feature films Mondo Trasho and Multiple Maniacs. So Mondo Trasho, he made in 1969. It came out in 1969. And three months after the Mondo Trasho premiere, uh, the Stonewall riots happened. So with the cinematic debut of Divine, the, the star of Trasho, Mondo Trasho and of Pink Flamingos, another unlikely... Uh, radical touchstone was happening in in queer history so 
John Waters has also said that his early inspir- of his early inspirations, I like this quote, I was always drawn to forbidden subject matter in the very, very beginning. The Wizard of Oz opened me up because it was one of the first movies I ever saw. It opened me up to villainy, to screenwriting, to costumes, and great dialogue. I think the witch has great dialogue. <laughs> so <laughs> I really related that. Also, it's just so funny that he um, he's talking about how it opened me up to villainy. <laughs> um, yeah. Because villains are so often queer-coded, and that's something that you guys talk about a lot yeah. on Attack of the Queer Wolf. So, and, and Divine is, she's the... Yeah, the hero of Pink Flamingos, but she's also a villain. And she's somebody that I talk about when I give my lecture about representations of fat women in film and television. And um, villain is kind of is one of the uh, categories that fat people are allowed to inhabit right. a lot of the time in film. So the movie stars divine who's a fat drag queen it's funny to to, to like uh talk about the background here because it's like so canonical to me that it's interesting <laughs> to, to sort of like dissect it and explain it to people um and john waters bestowed the tagline on divine the most beautiful woman in the world almost <laughs> <laughs> and uh divine was born uh, Glenn Milstead and was bullied a lot growing up for his weight and his uh, femininity. And through his rise to fame in John Waters films, he found a community of accepting people who embraced his outlandish, filthy aesthetic and accepted his body and his queerness. Oh my God. Can relate. <laughs> right. Exactly. I wanted to mention that because I think we can both relate to that. Um, and the film also stars other uh, countercultural people of the day that they were called the Baltimore Dreamlanders, which was this group of people that John Waters assembled to be in his all of his films. And he had Dreamland Productions. And the group included Mink Stoll, uh, Cookie Mueller, Edith Massey, David Lockery, Mary Vivian Pierce, Susan Walsh, and others, and all of these people are in this movie. So it's like a really important time capsule also of this moment. And uh, what else did I want to say here? Okay, it was shot on a budget of $10,000. Uh, wow. So it that's it seems like a lot of money to us but it's all, but it's, all it's low budget filmmaking. Um, and he was inspired by um underground filmmakers like Kenneth Anger and Andy Warhol and stylistically it takes a lot of cues from ballroom drag show pageantry and antics with like a 50s rock and roll kitsch aesthetic so Pink Flamingos was uh the distributed by the owner of the Elgin theater in New York city, which is now the Joyce theater, uh, Ben Barinholtz. And at the Elgin theater, Barinholtz had been promoting midnight movies, particularly, um, the movie El Topo from 1970. So when this film came out, he saw this as like an opportunity to capitalize on this midnight movie craze. And the film gains like a huge cult following, that would come to the Elgin theater and watch it. And, uh, Baron Holtz characterized it as downtown gay people. 
<laughs> more of the hipper set. Um, but then after a while, he also noted that a lot of working class queer people were coming from New Jersey um, and, and Long Island. So it it started to become this like really important touchstone for queer people everywhere. That is some of the background on pink flamingos. It's a, it's a thank you. Yeah, totally. Um, I always have like my at the top of the show. We talk about when we first saw it, and then I always have background and context, and then we we get into the plot and we start talking about some of the themes in the plot. And something I was really struck by also is how many of the people that are in this movie are not alive anymore. Um, <laughs> And it, it feels like a, a really just beyond even being like a amazing, hilarious, <laughs> campy romp. It's also just this really emotional kind of time capsule of a very specific time and place. Um, so we can start now to talk about the plot of Pink Flamingos which is hilarious. Like, it's so oh funny to try to talk about the plot of this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, and then the prolapsed assholes. <laughs> exactly. Um, which is, uh, you know, a very important scene. <laughs> uh, absolutely. You know what's so interesting to me is how it's like I would sneak to, wa- sneak to watch this as a kid or whatever and obviously couldn't bring it up or I would have gotten in a lot of trouble um but just who maybe the church folks I grew up with like who they would have thought the folks in this movie were or how they would have assumed that divine would act um you know if she were to walk into church and it's like you're around freaks and perverts all the fucking time right and and they don't do anything to you and I think that now when I'm like at home in my family's house like sitting with my cousins playing with them and I hear my like aunties or something give their opinion on someone they think is like a weirdo or a pervert. And I'm like, no, there's a pervert in your fucking living room right now. And like, I'm playing with the kids just great. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm still a family man. I'm still like doing these things. And it's like, you have no idea that I'm going to like saran wrap someone to the ceiling later. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody's got to calm down and stop <laughs> making these kind of assumptions about who they think would act in this or who they think would act that way. And the older I get, the more I understand my draw to folks who are seen as outsiders. And it's not always because I have some of the same interests in mind. It's usually because those are the nicest fucking people. And those are the people who have always been nice to me from the jump. And I felt welcome in spaces where like, I didn't even necessarily belong. Um, Yeah, no, totally. I mean, this, especially the party scene, which we'll get to, like, there's such a sense of, like, freak camaraderie. And (laughs) even when they were making this movie, like, they all sort of lived at this, at the film site, like, kind of like a weird commune. Um, And they were all like, they were like a close knit group of creators and friends. And, uh, I see this movie as people already saw them as like filthy outsiders. So uh-huh. they were like, okay, we're just going to go with that. 
So, which is very relatable. Yes. Um, so it's, you know, it's a very, it, it might seem a little like silly to analyze really deep themes in this movie. Cause I don't even, John Waters is like such a troll and I don't even know if he would like <laughs> endorse that, but I, it, you know, it's, which is very much like how a lot of how he's inspired by Andy Warhol because Andy Warhol was always like very flippant about deeper meaning in his work. Um, and John Waters is kind of the same, but we're going to do it anyway, because regardless of whether he intended it or not, it's there. It's all there. Um, so the movie opens with this, uh, like a shot of this amazing pink trailer mm-hmm. with these great title cards. And my first thought is like, Taylor Swift just stole this. Okay. Like, it's... You know, I we as queer people know that that video is like ridiculous and like totally um, appropriative, but that is such a uh, the pink trailer is such a, a, a borrowing from pink flamingos. Yeah, and like it's so rude that in her video, you know, she's like typecasting poor folks as like the enemy or as the ignorant people and i'm like oh so you didn't watch the whole movie huh because (laughs) oh i mean the poor people in this movie are the heroes exactly and and the queer people and like um yeah um if y'all if you're gonna steal you've got to really like do your homework you know (laughs) yeah absolutely and we got this uh a voiceover (laughs) of John Waters, young John Waters, and he introduces Divine, the filthiest person alive, (laughs) has been forced to go undercover with her son Crackers and her friend Cotton (laughs) and her mentally ill mother. (laughs) Oh, God. I... Filthiest person alive. Like, what a fucking title. It's so good. Like, I can only hope to aspire to that. No, for real. We cut to Edith Massey. Okay, yes. A baby playpen begging for Babs, a.k.a. Divine. So Babs is like Divine's undercover name to give her eggs. Yeah, I'm like, seriously, put me in a fucking playpen and feed me eggs. That sounds great, honestly. (laughs) Edith Massey Uh, is an interesting It's so wonderful to like watch something like this at the age that I'm at and like genuinely and truly be totally enthralled with these fat elders and just think they're fucking glorious in every way. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, Such a good feeling. Well, it's just, it's amazing. It's always amazing to see fat old people because we always get told as fat people that we're going to die young. So... It's great to see it in, like, in, immortalized in this way. And Edith Massey yeah. was like a really interesting person, and um, she died in the eighties. And she had a, a, her own punk band called Edie and the Eggs. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> she like capitalized on this fame and. Fuck yeah. It's also, I mean, and we're going to talk about it. Like, I have some issues to, to bring up uh, that, I, that I just 
think about her representation and her fatness. Um, but immediately, like, the first two people we see in the movie are two fat people because we see uh-huh. Edith Massey and then uh, uh, little Edie and then Divine. And she's glorious. And she comes into the shot and um, Edie is, is begging her for the, asking her when the Eggman is going to come. <laughs> and Divine explains that they're they're living in a new mobile home because they're undercover now and that Crackers lives out in the shack. And uh, Divine is going to make Edie some eggs and <laughs> she says, it's sunny out today, so I want them sunny side up. Yes, a mood. A mood. Uh, and then we see across town in Baltimore are Connie and Raymond Marble, who are described as two jealous perverts that <laughs> hate Divine's fame and notoriety. And I, too, identify as a jealous pervert. Um, so oh, yeah. that, I mean, I just like, you know, watching it through a new lens, just the way that John Waters <laughs> describes the characters is so funny. Like, two jealous perverts like that uh, it's just amazing um and connie has we see her she's played by mink stowe and she's got this crazy like dyed reddish orange hair (laughs) and she's rejecting a woman from a job that has to do with like tracking down divine and uh, she says there, I guess there are two kinds of people, my kind of people and assholes. Yeah. <laughs> Mood. Right. Right. Truth. So we also meet crackers and his chickens. And he's, yeah, we do. He's talking to the chickens about the date he's going to have. And Divine is all dressed up and she's going to take crackers to town. And she says, I'm all dressed up and ready to fall in love. (laughs) Which I I just, you know, I think at the time when I first saw it, like, it reads as very campy and funny. But it's also like, you know, Divine is is just as much like a weird sexual pervert as anybody else in this movie, which is great, you know, and to see that as a, another fat person is really important, no matter how bizarre the representation is. Absolutely. And because also sometimes you get dressed up and you are ready to go fall in love. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. I haven't, she says, I haven't fallen in love in three whole days. I'm just itching to find someone with a little imagination. Uh, I wish I could be open like that. I know, right? (laughs) I just love the idea that it's only been three days. (laughs) Uh, that, That sounds fun. It really does. And Divine and Crackers drive away in a powder blue coupe de mill on their way to town. And (laughs) it's so good. And Divine, like, (laughs) chases a jogger and (laughs) tries to run him down and cackles, which is, like, (laughs) such an iconic fat moment. Like... I wish to do that with every fiber of my being. I just, I just love her as a villain and as like the villain, the main person in the movie that the main character that you 
I identify with. Like, I don't know if when people saw this, maybe they necessarily identified with her. Um, but I definitely do. Oh, yeah. I would love to fucking have, you know, some military person think I'm going to pull over and give them a ride and then not. <laughs> yeah, because she does that, too. Like, she tricks a hitchhiker into thinking she's going to give him a ride and then drives away. <laughs> So we know Divine is a pervert bitch who loves to fuck with norms, like already. Mm-hmm. Back at the in Connie and Mar- uh, Connie and Raymond's place, uh, they're selling a baby to a lesbian couple, and this is where things start to get. If it wasn't already like super bizarre, this is where things start to get even more bizarre, because we see that they're. There are two women, one dead, being held captive in the Marbles' home, and they're using them to breed babies to sell to lesbian couples. Yes. (laughs) Specifically lesbian couples. (laughs) And uh, Divine and Crackers arrive in town, and we have this great sequence uh, with this great 60s girl group music, uh, which is a theme in John Waters' body of work which, you know, it goes through Hairspray and Crybaby and, like, so many other things that he's done. He loves this, like, 60s girl group pop music. And um, there's this great sequence where Divine buys raw meat and sticks between her legs. Yes. Um, And I also was, like, cracking up thinking about how they just went into Baltimore and started filming this. (laughs) (laughs) And... There also the scene where Divine is like strutting down the street and people are gawking and staring um, at her. That was a real scene. And those are real people like those were not extras. And the first major theme I thought about here at this point was like fat resistance in the face of this gaze. Right. And yeah, she's just like walking down the street and like, you know, waving back at people who are staring at her and like that you know it was for a movie but it was also real like it was happening in real time in real life and that is something that i like i feel like divine inside every day when i walk down Mm -hmm. the street and i don't know like what did what did you have any thoughts when you saw that scene yeah i i mean i felt pain of course because it's so relatable um and I hope it would, I would feel pain anyway, even if it wasn't relatable. Um, but I definitely thought about how as a kid, I, and not that I don't ever do this as an adult, but as a kid, I definitely, as a fat kid, I definitely was just like, I just want to be invisible. I just want to shrink. I just want to be thin. I just want people not looking at me. And I would not only wish to be skinny and like constantly be on a diet, but I would like wear girdles and like makeup that I didn't even like and clothes that I didn't even like in any kind of effort to just be quote unquote normal. And how as an adult, I watched this scene and I'm like, yes, bitch, like you better fucking get it. It's so relatable. And how only now in my life do I even have the confidence or maybe it's not even confidence. Maybe it's just straight up gall Mm. to walk like that and embody that and feel that and wave at people and like really know that regardless of their opinion about me, I still think I'm that bitch. And 
I also have definitely felt, I think my, my style has changed a bit too, because now I'm like, I just want to literally be divine. Yes. (laughs) And as a kid, I never would have wanted to like take up attention and space in that way. And I don't know if it's like the realis the realis the realization as you grow that like you're gonna get attention period and so you should wear and do what you want. Um but I definitely feel that now. Yeah, absolutely. And also the way that Divine's appearance in this movie is purposely grotesque. Like her makeup and her hair, just like everything about her is um not trying to blend in to the scenery around her. And, um, that is in itself like a form of resistance. Oh, hell yeah. There's just something so beautiful and powerful about anyone doing exactly in terms of their, um, excuse me, in terms of their appearance, when you can tell that someone is really living their own fucking life, (laughs) it's something, it's like, I don't think those folks or us, when we do it, realize how much impact that that really has because we're just so used to seeing the status quo or like so used, maybe so used to trying to fit in or to like follow a trend and we don't realize how we are the actual trendsetters. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I live for it. And I, I know as a kid that I thought, you know, it looked grotesque or didn't fit in. And as an adult, I'm like, Oh, you look literally fucking perfect. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I really like who I'm growing up to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, I was, uh, when I saw this in high school, like I, was lucky enough to have already been exposed to a lot of queer things and like thought she was perfect in, mm. in as a drag queen. But now as an adult, I actually identify with her as opposed oh, to yeah. just watching her as um, like an object of divinity. Yeah, absolute divinity. I wish I'd grown up believing in that God. Yeah. And she knows in the movie, like she knows that she's everything. Okay, you don't walk like that unless you know. Yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with the raw meat between your legs. Right, I love that. I mean, (laughs) like, she's just unapologetically, like, filthy and just against, like, social norms of politeness. And I just love it. And the next thing she does is she goes and she shits on the marble lawn. Yes. And uh, Connie Marble is fuming that Divine is in the papers as the filthiest person alive. Uh, which, good bitch, like, you... I'm like, you shit on your lawn. Yeah, what exactly. You... <laughs> um, and Raymond is out peeping on girls with binoculars who he flashes, and he has this, like, giant sausage tied to yeah, his what's, what's up with that? What is like... up with that? You, you, everybody sees the string, bro. <laughs> I, that was, it's so funny. And I mean, it's a ridiculous scene and it shows that they're like, like Raymond and Connie, Divine is filthy, but Raymond and Connie are like evil. Like right. it's, it's very different the way, yeah. that, the in the ways that they're filthy, like they, um, are kidnapping women and like raping them and forcing them to have babies. 
Divine just like puts raw meat in her panties and like shits on someone's lawn. Like, no, and that is, it's just like so. It's like that is actually what's happening to people who think that <laughs> it's like there are filthy people like Divine who are like just living their own life um, and like letting their interests and their like attractions just be fully present and then there's people who think they're filthy and they're actually fucking evil and it's like the folks who get all of the shit are the filthy people who are not evil right exactly (laughs) evil motherfuckers walk around trying to make rules and it's actually like you're evil your intentions are bad these other folks are just trying to like let their asshole see the sunshine exactly no no totally and this is also when i started to get maybe this like this idea that connie and raymond are like these they're like these fake yes norms who just dyed their hair and now they're like gentrifying filth yes (laughs) and they have this like mansion and divine is actually like living in a trailer Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. an actual outsider and yeah it's like your your filth freak lifestyle is something you have tried on and like maybe you like some of it or whatever but it's not genuine whatsoever absolutely and they're trying to do everything to take divine down they meet with uh cookie who's actually played by Cookie Mueller, who promises to get info on Divine. And she says, I may have to degrade myself for Divine's son. Uh, so we know that this is the date that Crackers is meeting up with. And they explain that they have a baby ring and they own porn shops, the marbles. They own porn shops and they push heroin in inner city schools. So again, the marbles are like filth gentrifiers and Divine is the real deal. And they're, like, norms co-opting queer filth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it just reminds me so much of, like, people in Brooklyn who, like, straight people in Brooklyn who, like, dye their hair and now think that they're, like, so alt. And Yeah, like, I have an undercut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes my boyfriend wears my jumpers, so we're yes. here now. Yep, exactly. Um, and Cookie and Crackers are on a date at the trailer, and Cookie is horrified by Edie. (laughs) (laughs) And Edie is, like, telling Cookie about how uh, Divine is going to have this birthday party. So Cookie is, like, getting the the intel. And then we have this hilarious scene where Crackers and and Cotton... um, are talking about how it's almost time for him to to fuck his date and Cotton is like super excited and wants to watch. <laughs> yes. And so we see that they they're actually kind of together and Crackers just really like brings these women over to fuck them for Cotton. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're like just absolute pervs, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> and Crackers promises Cotton Uh, that he's going to do something new to show her. And she says, can we have some blood in this one? Just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Then he also like tries to touch her and Cotton's like, just don't touch me because it ruins it. (laughs) He's like, I'm not touching you. It's just like, it's so funny. Um, So now we get the chicken scene. (laughs) Iconic. 
This is crazy. Like crackers in this scene. So crackers is fucking cookie with a, one of his chickens between them, mm-hmm. and they uh-huh. kill the chicken. And supposedly they didn't actually mean to kill the chicken when they were shooting it. Um, but when you fuck with a chicken between you, yeah, the chicken's gonna die. You're gonna hurt yeah. the chicken for and sure. John Waters is like really flippant about it and he's like well we at least we ate it afterwards yeah i mean people kill chickens every day so this scene was like a really big deal this chicken death um and it could never be made today to be honest oh yeah no it could no for sure it could Uh, never and it's a really like (laughs) just there's like really no words like it's just disgusting and horrible for the sake of being disgusting and horrible um Uh and i can't help but like laugh at it (laughs) because it's as like i remember i saw an interview with john waters once and people always say like he said people always ask me if uh i was on drugs when i made pink flamingos i wasn't on (laughs) drugs when i made it i was on drugs when i wrote it Uh, but I have to imagine that everybody else to do these scenes was on drugs, because how else could you? Um, Cookie watches them fuck this chicken through the window, and then the Eggman comes and visits Edie. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, in this film. This is an, another thing about this film is it's considered to be like a piece of abject art. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, fatness as abject in this movie, because mm. the fatness is, you could see it as being celebrated, but it's also part of everything in this movie that makes it abject. It, for people who might not be familiar with the concept of abjection, it's described as a process by which one separates one's sense of self from that which immediately threatens one's sense of life. So people see fatness as threatening, like, a social order, and uh, they see it as threatening uh, their their sense of being able to control their own mortality. A really uh, common example of abjection is uh, the imagined, is one's reaction to gazing at a human corpse as a direct reminder of the inevitability of death. So uh, Julia Kristeva is a, is a theorist and I'll link this for my patrons. I'll link all this information for them in my newsletter. Uh, but she has an, a, a theory, a book called powers of horror on the theory of abjection. Uh, and it, the feeling that an individual experiences or is confronted by what Kristeva terms as one's corporal reality or a breakdown in the distinction between what is self and what is other. So people see fatness as this abjection, as this other, because it's also, unlike a lot of other identities, it's an identity that you can go, you could enter at some point. Like you could, anybody has the potential to be fat. So it's it's a really common examples of um, abject art would be like the artist Ron Athey or Genesis Peoridge and Gigi Allen, who like directly confronted themes of abjection 
like by using their own blood, by altering their body. Like these are all things that are considered to be indirect uh, th- threat or contrast to like the concept of uh, healthy human life as we know it. So Pink Flamingos is also thought to be an example of abjection in film because the characters do things that call attention to the to mortality and also to um, they, they purposely put themselves in situations that are like disgusting and horrible, which goes directly against what people would imagine you would do to stay alive and <laughs> to uh, to be like a, a whole human person. So I, I guess I wanted to talk about that in the context of fatness in the film, because the film is a celebration of these characters, but it also uses them in a way to, to enhance the grotesqueness of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was oh, yeah. wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like, we see, we know it's a celebration because we are enlightened and know the truth, but absolutely fatness is used as a part of that because for most people even if they are fat like their biggest one of their biggest life fears is being fat Mm -hmm. they're like i they are more scared of being fat than showing up at a party where someone's asshole is on display like they are mortified by the idea and they definitely think it is certain death to to be that and so i think Fatness changes every single narrative because it it changes how people's bodies are seen and how their worth is seen. And I don't think that anyone would have found Divine or um, Edie as gross as they did if they weren't fat. Yeah, I don't think anyone would have been so startled by a woman who a grown woman who wasn't fat in a crib requesting eggs like i think even her talking about something edible and something like food so often is uh, is part of that yeah you're absolutely right and it 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 also brings up these ideas of like the carnival-esque like of the freak mm-hmm. show um, mm-hmm. like the fat lady and yeah. just like confronting that which people find to be most abject and horrific. And it's sad to say, but like most people find being a fat as like this horrific reality. And yeah. it's fascinating to people to watch uh, yes. and be entertained by people that they see as like completely abject. Uh, yeah. And. I, I think that John Waters is unconsciously operating on that level in, in a way. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, he knows that these characters are fat people that are going to be seen as, like, really scandalous because they're fat. And, you know, in some ways, like, like it is a celebration because they're, like, directly contrasted with the marbles who were, like, these skinny white gentrifiers and you're definitely rooting for divine and her crew um and at the same time i I do have to be critical of the use of fat bodies to uh to, to advance like this grotesque spectacle uh 
So it's just something I wanted to talk about because both exist at once, the, the celebration and also the, the use of the fat body as abject. Um, so the Eggman shows Edie his case of eggs. <laughs> and uh, I also love eggs. I <laughs> like one one of the reasons I could never be vegan, and I was also like noticing too that there's so much like chicken and egg imagery in this movie. Like, yeah, so many chickens, like the the, the chicken death that we just talked about, and then <laughs> the eggs. And I'm like, what is up with that? What is that about? Like, I. I, I, I mean, it's just maybe because it was like what was available to them. I, I don't know. Like, there's just so many references to it in the movie. Yeah, I wonder which one truly like did come first. Right. <laughs> like, if he was like, oh, I think we're gonna fuck a chicken to death, or if like <laughs> he's gonna love eggs. Like, I, yeah, I wonder. So the marbles are on the prowl looking for a new woman to kidnap for their baby ring and they kidnap a hitchhiker and the their butler Channing brings her into their lair uh, where the other victim is and he jerks off and inseminates his uh, new victim and it's actually a pretty awful scene. It is. Uh, and it's there obviously for the sake of just like being gross and shocking um, because the next scene after that is the foot sex scene. <laughs> yes. Where um, the marbles are uh, having some foot fetish sex. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it's very, very funny. <laughs> and also, the, the fact that the marbles' pubic hair is dyed the same color as their hair <laughs> is. I'm living for that. Kills me. <laughs> And when I had purple hair, I actually dyed my pubes purple. Mom. So uh, I was probably inspired by this movie. Uh, Cookie calls in and is demanding to be paid off right now. And she gives all the marbles all the info on Divine. And uh, they're also plotting to give Divine some horrible birthday gift. And then they have more foot sex. And they have this amazing exchange where Connie says I love you even more than my own filthiness more than my hair color even more than any shit than my own shit do I love you Raymond (laughs) and she's like more than the sound of bones breaking and he says more than the sound of babies crying even more than the thought of original sin itself Um, and just like one of the many great exchanges in this movie and divine is grilling steaks outside in a bra and i was also thinking like it's so important to see fat bodies in various states of undress like when i look at divine's body it looks like home to me yeah yeah and just how like the amount for me the amount of courage or i mean I don't want anyone else to tell me I'm courageous for showing my body. However, (laughs) like the amount of work I've had to put in to be able to grill a steak outside of my bra, like that is absolutely something I would do now. But even like 12 years ago, I I wouldn't have. Right. I wouldn't even have had a sleeveless shirt on. I would have had a jacket over (laughs) my arms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's amazing to see it. And 
Um, there, you know, there's also this queer fatness that John Waters uses a lot in his movies. Like he uses fatness to John Waters, like has a thing for fat chicks. Like I've seen him live and in his, um, Christmas, like stand up performance. I mean, he talks about like loving fat girls and he, he just, he's got a thing for us, which is very common with gay men. I find like, Oh yeah. They and I think a lot of it is because like gay men have so much body dysmorphia, um, just for like being in community with each other. And mm-hmm. I think to see like a fat, fabulous bitch just being like fuck everybody is very um appealing to them. And oh yeah, this is something we've talked about before. Uh, oh yeah, most definitely. I have found many a white gay boy obsessed with my fat black ass like i guess gay men there is something about i don't know if it's like the perf- like it feels like a performance to them or if like you are a confident fat woman there i wish i don't think i've articulated this exact thing before so i'm like stumbling but there is something so freeing about watching someone else live their life and live outside of some kind of standard that you deeply adhere to. Yes. And it's like this obsession happens because people wish they could free like that, but the judgment is also still there because obviously they're keeping their body a certain way or their, their fears are set up a certain way. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, even like with hairspray, John Waters uses fat women, Divine and Ricky Lake, um, a drag queen and a woman, as a way of uh, positioning them as other. Mm-hmm. And it's not in a way that's that the other is wrong. I mean, it celebrates the other, and it is celebratory, but. Yeah, I mean, in his he's there's a lot of a lot to be said about the way that he uses fatness in his films as a way to uh, emphasize the otherness and the other the, the celebratory otherness of the characters. Uh, so the mailman tries to deliver a birthday gift, and Divine tells him to get the fuck off her property. <laughs> I love watching her be mean to men. Uh, yeah, it's so good. Divine opens the present and it's a turd. She says, this is a direct attack on my divinity. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I love how she just knows that she is like absolutely divine. And the birthday card says, happy birthday, fatso. You're no longer the filthiest person alive. We are. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting also how the marbles are the only person in the movie to actually talk about fatness, and True. it's in a way that is derogatory. And yeah, the, I, like now that I think of it, they're the only characters who ever address it at all. Um, so back at the marbles, Channing the butler is dressing up as Connie and Raymond in the mirror and pretending <laughs> to be them. <laughs> The marbles catch him, and I guess this is like a, a part of how we see that they're kind of fake, uh, fake filthy people because they're so disturbed by him dressing up. 
Right. So uh, they Channing cries about his dress-up hobby, and they, like, shame him, and Raymond locks him in the closet and calls him a closet queen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether John Waters is meant to do this or not, like, this is really saying some deep things about uh, the the co-optation of, of that we're, that we've been talking about in this episode of queerness and, and filth by uh, otherwise normal people who are just evil. They're not filthy. <laughs> and uh, I also, Raymond, he locks him in the closet and I was like, well, I'm a little horny. I will, I'll admit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and meanwhile, back at the trailer, Edie and the Eggman are engaged and uh, the Eggman loving Edie and promising her a ton of eggs is genuinely great. Oh. I love it. Mm, so hard. And he's, she also says that she loves eggs more than him. <laughs> and I, I just love seeing fat people kissing. Yes. Absolutely. Agree. It's, it's just like so, it's just so bizarre. And it's just like such a bizarre plot point. And it's also just like really lovely, like how much he actually loves her. <laughs> It is. And I was like, I remember as a kid thinking it was hilarious, like the kissing Mm -hmm. and thinking like that will, but that will never happen for me. Mm -hmm. Like, this is funny because it's a joke that this fat person is experiencing that. Right. Um, and I also thought at any point he was going to be like, I'm just kidding. This was all a joke. Ha ha ha. Like who could ever like you? Because that is what would happen to me as a young kid. Anytime you know, someone would like say they have a crush on me. It always would end up being a joke or like some kind of game. Right. And so, yeah, as an adult, I'm like, Oh, I love, once again, I love how I see these fat people and feel joy or, or just like contentment instead of thinking, Oh, this is hilarious. Or like the other foot's about to drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would happen to me a lot as a kid, too. I think that's, like, a very common experience that fat people have together. And, yeah, to see her as an object of love it, it is is uh, genuinely moving. Like, I, even though it's, like, very funny also. Um, right, right. And then we get the amazing party scene. Oh, my God. Where the marbles are spying on the party and... <laughs> Divine is in an, ama- an amazing white dress and she's receiving filthy gifts like uh, from all her freak friends. Oh my god. I love the party scene. So I'm good. like, how do I just, the yes, the dress, the gifts from friends, the performances, like it's just so perfect. It's amazing. And it's like everything I want. Like, yes. she gets like vomit on a piece of paper and a pig yeah. head. And... I'm like, is this a fucking huge meat cleaver? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's just like such an amazing display of like 70s faggotry. And there's like a burlesque performer with a snake. And then, of course, the singing asshole man. <laughs> Uh, who, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, it's literally a man on his back with his legs over his head, winking his asshole. Mm-hmm. And it's like partially prolapsed. Um, 
And it's genuinely one of the most, like, disgusting things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, but I also love it and want to be there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, this is definitely, although I don't think I want vomit as a gift, I I would give vomit as a gift if that's what someone wanted. Right. And so I'm like, I definitely want to be at this party. I would take the pig head. And- oh, it's you know the asshole man too like it's is also um this this uh like people watch prolapse porn and it is something that i've never been able to even get through uh because it makes my asshole hurt just thinking about it but it's another example of like directly confronting the abject like that's not supposed to happen to your body like It goes against how we think of like preserving our genitalia. <laughs> like, and so to directly confront it and to like see it on screen, because this is also before like the act, the easy access to prolapse porn. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're in the Rosebud crew. Like, you, yeah, that was just not something you could run up on anytime, anyplace. Right. And, and yeah. I, the whole party in general, like, I think it's so great that at this age and who I am now, I know that I could absolutely not only have, throw this party for myself if I really wanted to, but probably any day of the week, find a friend who is throwing a similar party. Yes. And I'm like, I feel like I've made it for that reason alone. It's amazing. <laughs> you have, right. I know. I was like, this is like a lot of parties I've been to, actually. <laughs> It's, uh, that dress. it's oh the dress is amazing die for it oh, i die for it and i love how it's just this like it's like the the filthiest wedding you've ever been to yeah <laughs> and you have to imagine also i'm sure like that either divine had to make the the clothes oh, or because yeah. it, it i mean seven and then 1972 like plus size women's wear is like basically non-existent so wow, for sure it's uh, that makes it even more amazing mm-hmm. um, so the marbles the singing asshole man is like the last straw for the marbles they're horrified <laughs> <laughs> they flee because they're not true the truly the filthiest people alive they're hetero wannabes right they call the fucking cops like they that's how the you cops. know and the cops show up to the party and the guests kill them and eat them <laughs> yes <laughs> Which, like, the pig head is kind of a foreshadowing for that. Oh, oh yeah. Hell yeah. And it's an amazing scene. Um, Edie and the Eggman get married. Uh, Raymond flashes another woman, again, with some kind of meat tied to his dick. But this time, the woman flashes back. Yes. Shows her dick. Yes. She's played by Elizabeth Coffey, who was another Dreamlander, a transgender actress. And... It's he's horrified by her and it's like it's playing off this like trans panic that straight men experience, but in like a very a way that's very much aligned with her and not him. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's so funny. I'm like, good, scare him, like go away. So Divine and Crackers go to the Marble House with a gun and this is also a ridiculous scene. Divine is like in their bedroom and she's like, This is where they make crackers. And 
<laughs> Divine and Crackers are talking about how Connie and Raymond must fuck, and it's hilarious. Like, she's like, <laughs> she says something like, I bet she peels back her thin, chapped lips. <laughs> I'm like, this is exactly how I talk about, like, skinny people that I hate. Like, it's... <laughs> So funny. Um, and they start licking everything in the house and it's like extremely oh. manic. <laughs> yes. Um, to like claim that claim the stuff in their house. And then Cracker says he's so happy to be Divine's son, and then they have this moment and Divine sucks his dick. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I my note here was like, man, the 70s was crazy. Like <laughs> She literally sucks his dick on camera. Like, that actually happened. And um, he's like, do my balls, mama. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I, like, they, they actually at some point cut this scene out of the movie to, like, give it, to get it to be shown in theaters. Um, but now it's back. Yes. As it should be. I mean, also, like, pretty amazing to see a fat person second dick. Right? Yes. I mean, I don't care that it's incestuous. Like, it's pretty amazing to see. Yeah. No, it is, um, it is truly amazing to see. Like, a queer fat drag queen, like, sucking dick. Like, that's pretty amazing. Like, you don't even see that now. Like, no. it's one of the only few examples I can think of. Um... So, meanwhile, the marbles are at the trailer about to burn it down, and Divine and Crackers find Channing in the closet and interrogate him, and they find the girls in the basement and they free them, and the girls cut off Channing's dick, and there's a great close-up of Divine and Crackers, their demented faces, like, brimming with glee as these girls cut off Channing's dick. (laughs) And so they're like... They're the they're villains, but they're heroes also. Like they're not evil in the way that the marbles are evil. Um, right. They're not calling the fucking cops. They're not <laughs> calling the cops. They're not kidnapping and raping women. Like it's they there was the chicken incident, but <laughs> beyond that, like they're like, just kind of contained. It's like a hazard of the job. They, like no <laughs> no one meant for the chicken to die. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the thing like that's the difference between it's like who is seen as filthy and who isn't and who is actually fucking evil which is what we were talking about earlier it's like why haven't you seen a fat drag queen sucking dick well it's because people read the bible and think that's what the sin is but the actual sin is like calling the cops on people who the cops will actually kill it's right. like and I also love that the cops, instead of killing them, get killed and eaten. Yeah, uh, so cathartic. So cathartic. Um, and I feel like if that were made now, like the like there would be a petition or something. Like, oh, of course. It was almost. I hate to romanticize the past, but it was almost better in a way because people who didn't want to see those things would never see the movie. So yeah. it was like we could have our own little corner of filth. And it wasn't going to be exposed to, like, the nuts who were going to make a big deal out of that. Um, 
So the marble, the trailer burns down and the marbles come home and they're about to fuck, uh, but the furniture is rejecting them, <laughs> like <laughs> pushing them off of the couch because De- Crackers and Divine licked everything. The acting is hilarious and Divine, Crackers, and Cotton are there waiting for the marbles and they tie them up at gunpoint and the marbles are like also denying their identity. They're saying they're not Connie and Raymond Marble because they're pussies. <laughs> they're not really about this life and divine is like screaming at them it's hilarious divine has called a press conference to witness the trial of the marbles and she's in that iconic red dress oh my god and this is another really interesting like nod to celebrity and the spectacle and how I mean, it's just, like, it's an insane plot. Like, she's calling the press to, like, witness how she's going to murder these people because she wants everybody to know she really is the filthiest person alive. (laughs) And just the concept of that and the way that she's, like, speaking to them as if she's, like, this real celebrity, but it's, like, this perversion of celebrity is just this very, like, very surreal moment in the film. Uh, everything it's really everything i mean she's her own celebrity which is what we do as queer people like we make our own celebrities fuck yeah and we make ourselves learned it from exactly (laughs) um and divine i'm gonna put a sound clip in the episode of her speech here because it's like so amazing Give me more questions. Divine, are you a lesbian? Yes, I have done everything. Does blood turn you on? It does more than turn me on, Mr. Vader. It makes me cum. And more than the sight of it, I love the taste of it. The taste of hot, freshly killed blood. Could you give us some of your political beliefs? Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. They tar and feather the marbles, and Divine says, I am God. And she, which is, like, so deliciously blasphemous. (laughs) I love it. And Divine shoots the marbles and looks amazing doing it. And she also says, you stand convicted of assholism. (laughs) (laughs) I, she's so, she's just everything. Everything. The crew is moving to Boise, and Divine says, I'll have to change my appearance. Maybe I'll get a crew cut and look like a dyke. (laughs) So good. Please do. I want to see all the looks, I want to see that. She says she's going to get a pink Elvis haircut. (laughs) Oh, my God. I want that. And Cotton is also like, me too, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Cotton. Uh, and they're like in a they're like in a really bizarre, disgusting polycule, the three of them. Yeah. They're <laughs> huge. Right, because Cotton also uh sleeps with Divine. Um mm-hmm. and you know, she she's but she's also like kind of in a relationship with crackers. So they they're talking about dyeing their hair, and then we get this the infamous scene where Divine eats dog shit. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, the final scene in, is really, like, notorious. Um, Divine is eating fresh dog feces, and she would later tell a reporter, I followed that dog around for three hour- hours, just zooming in on its asshole, waiting for it to empty its bowels so that they could film the scene. <laughs> 
they also called the um, an emergency room nurse pretending that uh, a child had eaten dog feces to inquire about the possible harmful side effects. <laughs> and there were none. Oh, and, thank God. <laughs> right. Divine would later complain of people thinking that she, like, just runs around doing it all the time and that she used to receive boxes of dog shit <laughs> and that she would go to parties and people would just sit around and talk about dog shit because they think that's what that she wanted to talk about. And in reality, he remarked he was not a corporophile. He only ate excrement that one time because it was in the script. <laughs> so... That is the uh, quote-unquote plot of Pink Flamingos. Um, also, in the version that I watched, I don't know if you got to see it, but there's uh, like about 10 minutes of deleted scenes that John Waters introduces. And I, don't know. I didn't see that. It's very interesting. One of the scenes that got deleted, Divine is naked in it. So, oh. which I would have loved to have I been. Would have loved that, yeah. Yeah. And he says it's the most bizarre nudity he's ever filmed. And I'm like, why? Uh, it's bizarre because she's fat? Like, it's... She's just naked in it. Like, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> you can eat dog shit, but you can't be naked. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, you can eat dog shit, but you can't be a naked fat person. Yeah, you can be naked and thin with your asshole out, but you can't just be fat existing naked it's like and it's also nay like some of the tamest nudity i've ever seen like she's just like in her bedroom like with her shirt on but like naked from the waist down it's like you know that that's you know it's it's just uh there could be so many disgusting things in this movie but that was like too far i I, (laughs) like fat people's bodies are that threatening I also keep thinking about what you said about people talking about dog shit around her or like sending her dog shit or being like, I did that one time. I think that that it's like a foretelling of queer famous, like social media (laughs) where Mm -hmm. like you post something one time and then for it, like for some reason catches fire and like everyone thinks that's the thing you like or a thing you want to hear about. Right. Yes. Or maybe, yes. and not just like famous queer folks, but like maybe it's just like an internet thing. But it's funny to hear it in that context, like without social media um, and just from a part in a movie that maybe like not even everybody saw, but people just caught wind that she likes dog shit. So that's what we're going right. to talk about. And I mean, there's so many other things that happen in this movie. Like, do people also think that she just likes to murder people? Like, it's so... Yeah. I Am I going to put steak in my thighs? Like... Right. I mean, I guess it just... It is also, you know, reading a little bit deeper into it, it also goes back to this idea of, like, fatness as abject. Um, because it has to do with ingesting food. Yeah. And... True. It's you know people see that as like like people always say that fat people like eat shitty food mm-hmm. and this person is like oh, you're eating shit mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like I, I'm not saying it in the best way that I would necessarily want to if I had more time to articulate it but there is something to be said there about the the uh the willingness to watch a fat person eat shit but not not their naked fucking body exactly. uh, you're right. 
Um, oh, you're right. And it's like, even in this movie, which is like such a celebration of filth and depravity and otherness, there are these reflections of uh, a greater societal cultural myths about fat people. And uh, it's not explicitly addressed, but it's there. Um, And there was also this other deleted scene where it's so funny. Um, Crackers and cotton kill cookie. And uh, this didn't make it into the movie, but their uh, crackers like feasts on cookies, dead body. And then uh, he's, uh, he says to cotton that he loves looking into her eyes because, because <laughs> they're like cunt eyes. <laughs> and it's like looking into two cunts. And John Waters is like, I don't even, I, I don't even know what I meant with that one. <laughs> so funny. There's also a scene that was covered. It feels like a compliment. A re- I, it's like, I might use it, honestly. Right. I'm um, like, if someone told me that my eyes look like cunt eyes, I'd be like, oh. Thanks. Am I in love? Right. <laughs> Just want to stare into your cunt eyes. Right. Um, then they there's also a scene that got cut where divine and crackers and cotton are skipping through a field singing we are the filthiest people alive in big latin (laughs) (laughs) and uh, at the in this version that i saw john waters also shows which is like i i think the remastered version from 1997 or something uh john waters shows the original trailer for Pink Flamingos, which is not a typical trailer, and I'm going to put the audio in at the beginning of the show, as I always do, but uh, it's it's just people outside a movie theater in New York City, uh, and a camera crew is asking them what they think, and uh, that and it, they're just talking about like how much they love it, and how wild it is, and it, you can see there's like a lot of queer people, like a lot of gay men, um, and they're like, performing for the, the 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 camera crew that's interviewing them and they're like oh it's simply divine and you know it's it really actually i <laughs> i'm like a sap and maybe i'm just pmsing but i started to tear up because it's pre aids crisis mm. so it's 1972 and there are all these people that all look different just like out and enjoying this moment of freedom and of like filth and perversion and just like being able to embrace that without any kind of like anything else being projected onto them. And I know that a lot of the people that were in this trailer probably did not survive the next decade. And it, I just found it really like moving like even many of the dreamlanders many of the people who are in the movie are gone like divine died in 1988 um of heart complications and cookie mueller died in 1989 due to aids related complications and edith massey died in 1984 from lymphoma and diabetes and david lockery who plays raymond marble died in 1977 from a cut that he sustained while on pcp and he it, it bled out so it's, you know, like there's, there's this kind of beautiful freedom that surrounds this movie. And then there's like everything that comes after it. 
and it's just you can't watch it without that heaviness there right um yeah and i just i think of that anytime i watch uh something that's queer that for pre-aids crisis and you know how we, we can never see it without that lens yeah absolutely i'm really glad you brought that up because that's something that <clears throat> i feel like as a young person when I would hear about HIV and AIDS, of course it was always in the context of like God punishing sinners. And not until I was actually in grad school did I really understand what the AIDS crisis meant for queer folks and what it meant for gay men. Um, And I didn't develop that like sense of sadness or that sense of respect even until I learned that. And now it's like when when I think of that, when I think of it through that lens and what you were just talking about, you absolutely can't bring that up without talking about that. Right. Um, it was such, it seems to be, have been such a huge, hugely formative time that still, you know, has its effect, of course. And I feel like I was robbed as a kid not learning about that and not understanding the kind of resilience that queer people had and the the tragedy of it and not knowing that was just such a disservice to me, not just as like a young queer person, but just as a human being in general. And I am just so grateful to, to know better. Mm-hmm. And... I, yeah, I, I feel, I felt that sadness as well. And I definitely thought about that. And I just wish that I, I could have known earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's always, it, it's, it's always important to bring up when you look at anything that is from this time or, um, I mean, this movie is interesting in that it is like buffeted by two really, important uh events in gay history like uh stonewall had really just happened 1969 and then the aids crisis is like coming up very soon um like the late 70s so it happens in between this these two really important events one which brought queer people out into the forefront and one which like put us back into this place of shame and you know being marginalized and it exists in this very interesting moment that was just like this pure moment of freedom and joy and that is really um reflected in the movie because the movie is all about that i mean it's all about just like embracing being other and celebrating that so it's it, it, it's like a very besides being like a very important um queer film in for for uh the the plot and the themes in it it's also very important historically because yeah. of everything that comes before and after it and yeah it's not to end on a such a downer note but it's 
that that really affected me in a way that I didn't anticipate. Um, and I, I always feel very deeply connected to queer history and seeing myself. And I, I consider myself aligned with the people in this movie and um, I really, really relate to them. It's, uh, and then seeing the people watching it and, and coming out of the theater and being interviewed about it, I would have been one of those people. So it's, uh, it makes me feel connected to a larger history and I, it makes me feel very joyful. And it also feels like a, something I have to grieve and mourn again and, and grieve and, and mourn all of the people I'll never get to meet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. that I'll never, and that their art will never be seen. And like so many creative people died and, uh, that I'll, I will never know about them. And it's, it, that has to be remembered. Any other thoughts that you had about this movie that we didn't get to? I don't think so. Yeah. We really tore this thing apart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my God. I feel so, I don't know if you would have told me when I was a kid, like sneaking around the stairwell to like watch my brother watch this movie that like, one day you will have a conversation specifically about this movie and in celebration of it. I know it's wild, right? I would be like, no, that's absolutely not ever going to happen. It's truly wild. I mean, like, Uh, it's that, this, this was like a dream of mine when I first saw this movie was to, to know people like this. And I felt so alone and I felt so different and so other and to now be in a position where people want to hear what I have to say about films like this and to have so many amazing people I'm in community with that I can have on this podcast is really like it's a huge deal for me and I I feel like a broken record because I say that all the time on this podcast and I say it all the time on my Patreon like that it's an huge deal that people actually want to hear what I have to say about this stuff but um I can't ever emphasize that enough that uh this is you know I feel that we're continuing their legacy and that we're honoring all of the people that got to see this when it came out and who aren't with us anymore and it's you know, Divine, it was a really interesting person. There's a documentary about him um, that's just called I Am Divine, I believe. And it's really great. I really recommend it. There's also a documentary about Edith Massey that was made before she died in 1975, which I recommend. And I'll link all of this in the Patreon. And it's just really important to remember them and to remember what they did for us just by literally existing and being themselves. I mean, being a fat queer person now is really hard. So Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what that was like in 1972. Right. Um, And, you know, like you were saying, you don't want other people to say you're courageous just for living in your body, but like, uh, cause it's patronizing and it's obnoxious. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but for us to say it is a different yes. thing. <laughs> like, Absolutely. 
it really is extremely brave and um it's not something that everybody has the capacity for and to to see people just being fat and being fucking freaks and like (laughs) living their lives the way that they want to is um amazing even though it's like such a silly funny movie so thank you come to la so we can shit in some yards you know what i mean honestly yeah i'm ready i want to come to la so we can chase down a jogger in your car (laughs) people who jog in the summer are psychotic uh, oh my god you know when i was first watching that scene it reminded me of this one time my mom who is nuts um crazy fat woman uh she thought it would be fun for us to drive around and like blow an air horn out the car window and scare people <laughs> and it was hilarious and i would now it's not funny to me and it's not hilarious but at the time i thought it was hilarious because she was only doing it at like really annoying like little college students in our in our that is so funny (laughs) lady what is wrong with you but i mean when you're fat like a lot of the time and you live on these other intersections as well a lot of the time it's like fuck it man like people already hate me (laughs) and this movie just it really speaks to that like it's they're already out of the club so um fuck it and right made their own made their own yeah so thank you so so much for doing this phone call with me um, oh thank you and i when you come to new york we definitely have to record an episode in person yeah and, october um in october amazing so we'll do yeah. a horror movie for sure um Sweet. so you can look forward to that where can people find you on social media uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Black Cupcake, B L A K K Cupcake. And yeah, that's where I'm at. And I hate Twitter, so yes, don't tweet me. Twitter is demonic. <laughs> um, and I hate it. Um, but you can find me on my Patreon at patreon.com slash girls guts jalla. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter as girls guts jalla. And you can also send me an email if you want to at girls guts jalla at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Annie Rose Mellon, and this is Girls Guts and Jalla. Where can my lover be?